This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode 33. Episode 33 features my friend Kate Cortleo. Uh, she is an actor. She's the host of the Pussy Power podcast, um, and she is a filmmaker. She has a film coming out called Ask for Jane, uh, set in the 60s, dealing with uh, issues surrounding Roe versus, Roe versus Wade and, and women's reproductive rights. I had a great time catching up with her. Um, we're also both regular attendees of the Shelter Theater Company, um, who we've had Michael Kingsbaker on here before. We talked a lot about that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, I am super inspired by her and everything that she's doing. I had a great time talking with her. I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope to have her back on sometime in the future. So without further ado, this is Kate Cortleo. Let's have a conversation. It's funny because when Laura Lee and I are doing our podcast, it's just one of those little ball speakers that's on the table in between us. Yeah. So the quality is not as good as this. What's the name of that, Mike? It's like a... Snowball? Snowball. Maybe. Yeah. Sounds right. It's hers. She does all the technical stuff, which is really nice. And that podcast is Pussy Power Podcast. And... You launched that, what, like April, May, something like that? I want to say February. Wait, where are we now? July? We've we've been yeah. doing it for like three months. Yeah. I don't have an awesome sense of time. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that puts it about March, maybe. That sounds right. Give or take. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, how many episodes in are you? I think we're 18 in. Yeah, and we were just at the New York Television Festival this past week. I was there as an alum, and she bought a pass so we could go to all these events together. And it was kind of amazing because we've been thinking about maybe making it a show, like a talk show instead of just a podcast. Yeah. So it was really inspiring to hear all the panels and see all the creators and start thinking about what that would look like. So you said you were an alum. What does that mean exactly? Um, I was at the festival two years ago Okay. with the project. Um, it was actually my movie, Ask for Jane. Uh, Rachel was like, what if we made it a miniseries? And I was like, that's a great idea. So she reworked it and we got in. It was very last minute. Um, and it was an amazing festival. And if you're an alum, you can come back every year, which is very cool. So that movie, let's talk about that. Let's yeah, start there, sure. Yes. I was like, are we, have we begun? We yep, have begun. Yep. <laughs> we were just chatting and it kind of evolved naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how, how did that come to be? Sure. Well, uh, so I'm, I'm a feminist and have been as long as I can remember. And um, like I was already volunteering with Planned Parenthood. I'm the third generation of women in my family to do so. And then I joined the New York Women in Film and Television, and they have screenings all the time. And I went to this screening of a doc called She's Beautiful When She's Angry, which is just this history of feminism and women's liberation. And in the movie, they touched for two minutes on this group called the Jane Collective. And I was like, what the fuck? How have I never... Do you swear on your podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how have I never heard about this group before? Like, I went to Barnard, and I do all this volunteer work, and I... How have I never heard of this? 
Um, and I went home that night and I started doing all this research and I was like, this is, I need to tell this story. No one knows about this and they should because it's fucking relevant. Um, so I wrote out a treatment that night and then I was brainstorming who would be the best person to actually write the screenplay. And I was like, fucking Rachel Carey is amazing and I want her to do it. So I took her out for coffee and I showed her my treatment and I told her my idea and she was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And it kind of went from there. Nice. Um, so then and you've shot that movie and everything, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. We shot it last July and August, 2017, which is weird too, because, you know, I started working on it before the election. So I thought we were going to be in a really different time. And even at the New York Television Festival, it was before the election. And when we were meeting with people, uh, I remember there was this one agency that we met with, and it was super cool of the festival to set up this meeting for us. I just want to say good things about them. But the agents, it was these two men, and they were like, mm, we don't really get why it's relevant, but you know, if Trump wins this election, you'll be fine. Like, you'll sell this movie, no problem. And I was like, well, I hope it doesn't come to that. But it did. <laughs> so, so did that have an effect on the movie directly? Uh, I think it's been a lot more buzzy mm-hmm. than it would have been otherwise. It's a weird, like, I really don't want it to be buzzy. I don't want it to be this this important piece of work, but it is. You know, I, I don't want it to be because I don't want that to be the world that we're living in, but it is. And so because it is, I'm really happy that we have this piece of work that maybe can inspire change and change the conversation around abortion. I didn't really talk about what the movie's about, did I? That no. That would be important. Not directly. I mean... <laughs> I knew, I mean, I know a little bit you about know. it. You um, know. People listening People listening probably might They're like, what is this? What are you talking about? Probably gathered something <laughs> because it was about, like, it started with feminism right. and stuff like that. Some women's issues. Yeah. That is a big, you know, um, very present. Divisive isn't the right word. Um, I mean, I guess divisive, but no, it's a very pressing issue that's what i was looking for well like human rights are divisive now yeah which is so bizarre and wrong on all levels yeah it's crazy yeah it's funny like thinking about where we would have been or could have been because um the one it's not it's not even a silver lining but it's like the one thing about the way everything is happening right now it's like it's in a very brutal way, mm-hmm. but it's revealing a lot about kind of an undercurrent um, in our culture, like that we didn't know. Like, I mean, I don't know, like, like for a lot of like black people, definitely this undercurrent that's now like not under at all. Like it's very coming to the top, revealing itself um, brutally. Um We've known it's there, but I think everybody at a certain point thought we were like a lot further evolved, kind of more advanced, some things kind of in the past. And now it's like, wow, no, there's a real, there's some people that are really about some crazy ish, you know? And and you're right that maybe it's a good thing that all this is coming to light because I, I think a lot of people and myself included, didn't realize how divided our country was on so many just basic fundamental human rights. Um, And now we're having these conversations, like I'm talking about intersectionality 
you know, multiple times a week with people. I didn't have those conversations before. And now I think it's important to talk about. Um, and I'm following this woman, Rachel Cargill. Um, I want to shout her out cause she's incredible on Instagram and she has this whole thing of do the work. Uh, it's, it's actually a 30 day program that you can sign up for, for free on our website. And it's all about being actively anti-racist. Like it's not enough to just be like, I'm not racist. You have to actually do the work and be actively anti. And these things weren't happening two years ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was talking with a friend actually about the word apocalypse. Yeah. And she told me that the definition of apocalypse is literally like an uncovering, like a total reversal of what's been happening. And she was like, literally what is happening right now is an apocalypse. We are in an apocalypse right now. And maybe that's the way to affect change. Yeah. Um, I think the big question also right now is like, what do we have a, a rule of law? Like we do. Um, for like the masses of people, but if you are rich enough, have certain political connections or positions, does the law apply to you the same way? Um, I think even if you go back to 2008, Mm -hmm. like the financial crisis and I, I, and I'm not super deep on this, but like the, the bottom line is from what I understand there were a lot of executives that broke the law. Like not, not just did unethical things. Like they did illegal things like grand scale theft. Um, and this is like a fact, you know, on the record. And basically not only did they not get any punishment under the law, a lot of them still walked away with like bonuses. Um, and now it's like, this is the the next level of it. Cause I was like financial crime and stuff like now This is now like, it's such a heightened level of hypocrisy that I don't even know what to do with it. Yeah. That they've done this, these terrible things and they've taken money away from so many Americans who are struggling. And yet like if you're the wrong color and you go and buy a candy bar, you could get shot or something. Yeah. And, and no, like the hard thing with that is like no ramifications yeah. for it. Like, um, for being suspected of a crime, losing your life because you're suspected of a crime, and then the person who takes your, took your life isn't held accountable like a lot of times, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they're justified under... It's, it's like really, if you're wealthy enough, you feel like you're completely above the law because you kind of are in America. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And um, even surrounding abortion, which is the the topic that I've been really invested in with this movie... Um, you know, there's all these right-wing lawmakers trying to um, repeal Roe versus Wade and just make... I mean, right now, abortion in America is safe and legal, but it's not really accessible in a lot of places. Um, the hindrances to accessing it are sometimes insurmountable. Like, if you have to drive to another state to get it, and then you have to take off work, and you have to find childcare for the kids you already have, and you have to find a place to stay, and then you have to stay multiple nights it's it's ridiculous whereas those wealthy people like they'll just get one anyway they'll go somewhere else yeah. and do it like they are still above the law and that's the same thing that was happening in the 1960s which is when my movie was set um i was reading all this research in preparation for it and there were women talking about how 
all the people around them were having so many kids and couldn't afford to feed all these mouths. And then they look up at the at the rich, fancy white people on the top of the hill who only had one or two kids max always. And they were like, they must know something that we don't, but what is it? Like, it's just been going on forever. Yeah. And it makes me really mad. Yeah. Um, I think, though, the thing, the only thing you can do, and, like, I've thought about it, and it's come up on here sometimes, mm-hmm. and I hear you talk about it, but, like... um as artists, like we like do your thing, you know what I mean? Cause I think it's easy to get beaten down by it all and to feel like, Oh, I'm just a actor. I'm just a singer. I'm just a, I'm just a this. And it's like that thing. That's your thing. Like that's important too. You know, I think this, like my fit, one of my favorite eras of like music in the U S is the sixties, actually sixties, mm-hmm. seventies, it's a good, it's a good era of music. Yeah, and it's a tumultuous time back then. I think songs about revolution. Yeah, um, that's that. Like everything going on is good for art. I think. Yeah. You know. Um, I mean, I I think a lot of the greatest sustaining art does come out of times of turmoil, which yeah. is certainly what we are in now. And I totally agree with what you say. I think as artists, that's our responsibility to humanity. That's why we have this gift. That's what we have to use our art to do is to tell important stories that can open people's hearts and change their minds and remind them of their own humanity and how to empathize with other human beings in situations that they maybe haven't thought about before. Yeah. It's powerful. Absolutely. So let's talk about you a little bit. Okay. Um, (laughs) Because, uh, so, um, you're an actor, Mm -hmm. um, and a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. This film, so was the, organization was that what was it meet meet jane or oh so the group is called the jane collective the jane collective and the movie's called ask for jane um was that your first movie like that you made yeah it is yeah this is this is the first feature i've produced huge learning curve uh continuing because this is another thing i've learned when you produce a film it's not like acting where you just go out and do the thing and then you get the paycheck and you're like well it was really nice to meet you all yeah can't wait to see the final product when you're a producer, it just never ends. You just have to keep applying to festivals and reaching out to them and figuring out post-production and music rights and uh, distribution. And I just guess it never ends, Yeah, which is kind of exciting too. Yeah. Um, so this movie, has it, it, it's been screened and no, okay, it hasn't been screened. I have no idea what this process <laughs> is. And I think probably also I get the impression... Um, Another thing about it is it's not like there's one version of events of how a movie gets made. Like from, mm. you know, from first treatment to to first screening, there's probably a bunch, like an infinite amount of ways that can happen. You I know? would imagine so. I mean, it's the same as with acting, I guess, because if there were just one way to do it and to be a working actor, everyone would just follow that path but that path doesn't exist. It's different for everybody. Uh, I think with movie making, a big part of it is securing the financing. Uh, And the process for Ask for Jane was a lot easier than I think it's supposed to be because it is so politically charged and relevant. So when I started reaching out to people, I met with this one woman who... uh, was just so passionate about the issue and we talked for an hour about 
you know, women's rights and the time period because she'd lived through it. And at the end of the meeting, she was like, I want to produce. And I was like, just to be clear, like, you want to give us money? And she was like, yes, I want to give you money. And I was like, handshake on that. Um, and that woman was Caroline Hirsch. She's the founder of Caroline's on Broadway, the comedy club, which nice. is also funny because this is not comedy. This is a straight up drama. But I'm so immensely grateful to her for taking a chance on us. Yeah. And I hope it pays off. Yeah. Um, and you star in it. I do. And, yeah. um, how, how many other people are in it? Well, there are 74 speaking roles. Wow. <laughs> Plus background. Um, it also spans, it's a period piece. So it's from 1968 to 1973 and all kinds of locations. It was crazy to make. Um, but some of the other lead actors in it, um, opposite me are Allison Wright who plays my mom, um, and she was nominated for an Emmy while we were shooting, which was very exciting. Nice. She's so cool. She's the classiest woman. I can't say enough good things about her. Uh, and Cody Horn uh, plays my best friend, who is from Magic Mike. And then a couple of, I, I don't know, I can keep listing names. I don't know if that's interesting. <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, we've got Sarah Steele and Sarah Ramos and Ben Rappaport, um, Chloe Levine, um, Lily Englert. Oh, we have Seikhan Sengblo, who was nominated for a Tony, which is really cool. So let me ask you this, because this is a thing I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, because you produced and are in it, mm-hmm. did you, like, how did casting work? Like, did you pick people or some combination of that? Was it by committee? I actually, like, I actually didn't really do any of the casting, which is weird because I was working a temp job the whole time we were casting because I needed to pay my rent. Not very glamorous. Uh, so Rachel, our director, uh, did a lot of the casting and we had a casting director, Eve Battaglia, who was just fantastic. Nice. And we did the casting at Caroline's Comedy Club, which was also funny. So you had like called people in there to read. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, that's actually one of my regrets. I would have really loved to be there for the casting process. Next one. I am definitely going to make that happen. Yeah. And you said, um, some of it was worked as a mini series. Yeah. Just as a script. Gotcha. Um, Rachel's a very talented and very fast writer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, she kind of just whipped up a, a revised version to serve as a pilot. So it was like the first half of the movie, basically. Yeah. And it was really elegantly done. And um, where did you meet Rachel? At the shelter. I thought so. Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, what's your background? Where do you come from with like acting and stuff like that? Um, well, I'm from Wisconsin and I've been acting since I was eight. There's this group in Madison, which is where I'm from in Wisconsin, called the Young Shakespeare Players. So I started with that when I was a kid. Um, It's kind of like summer camp. Like my parents both worked all the time, so they needed to have me occupied during the day somehow. So uh, I did Shakespeare. So my first play was Hamlet and I was Francisco and Reynaldo and the player queen. And then I kept up with that group until I was 16 and I did some community theater and some school shows. And then I moved to New York to go to Barnard for theater and I didn't love the program there. It was kind of in a transition period. So I ended up taking off a semester, and I went to a conservatory in Connecticut at the O'Neill, the National Theater Institute, which was unbelievable and really, I think, pounded in a work ethic. Mm-hmm. And then when I got back and graduated, I, I re-enrolled at Barnard, finished my degree. So I was only really in school for two and a half years. And then 
I studied for two years with this guy, Anthony Abeson, who I would say is the biggest influence on me as an actor now. That was in New York? Yeah. Um, And then it took me nine years of living in New York, but finally I found the shelter. And now I feel like I found my people and I'm never going to let them go. Nice. It's like the most important part of my, my week. I'm there every single Sunday. Yeah. I've now like committed <laughs> to that, you know, with the rare exceptions, but like that's My exception the... is if I'm getting paid to work an acting job. That's the only reason I'll miss shelter. Nice. Um, and so how long have you been going to shelter? Uh, three plus years, three years and a couple months. Cool. And you do um, a combination of stage and film or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do stage. I do film. I do TV. Um, I'd love to do voiceover too. So it's cool to be in front of a microphone right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> shout out to your podcast too. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And your podcast, you also talk to a lot of artists also. Yeah. Um, kind of feminist centric. Um, mm-hmm. Like female identifying yeah. guests about. Uh, all kinds of things. So, you know, we had a guest on recently who uh, is battling endometriosis. So we talked about that. We had a guest on who is a visual artist who is featured on BuzzFeed and she has this whole series of uh, famous historical women on their periods. So mm-hmm. like Ruth Bader Ginsburg sitting on the toilet having her period. Nina Simone having her period. It's a beautiful series. Um, yeah, just a whole mix. We had like a sexpert on who talked about kink and consent and another woman who has this Russian character. Uh, she is Russian, uh, and she puts on this really thick, funny uh, accent. It's kind of a cross between Sex in the City and Borat. She gives okay. dating advice. <laughs> and then the rest of the show is Laura Lee and I just ranting about politics and cats. We talk about cats. Yeah. Some levity. And you have a cat intro, which is pretty cool. We do. We made it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> you. So how did, did you make it, like, did you record actual cats or you did the cat voices? No, I, well, we do, we do cat voices just periodically because we like to meow at each other. Right. <laughs> but uh, I had this vision for the, the intro that was going to be like, I wanted one of those keyboards where you hit different notes and different cat noises come out. So yeah. we found a virtual one and we used that. Nice. Nice. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I like your it's intro fine. too. All conscious beings. Yeah, uh, you know, I wanted it to be that intro. I wanted it to be, it was inspired by Mr. Rogers. Oh, I love that you said that. Go on. Well, I love that guy. Um, just sort of, it's not like my podcast isn't necessarily for children per se, but I do think, um, shout out to Mr. Rogers one. Have you seen the documentary? Yes, I, I cried I just so many week. times. So, yeah, um, I think... Um, one that he was so committed to children's education and just he was like really focused um and like ahead of his time and a visionary as far as like i'm i'm super into certain aspects of technology like i haven't done virtual reality yet but i'm so excited about it because it's like a dream from my childhood on the other hand the tech age that we're going into where we're all on our screens all the time. He was dealing with like the beginning of that wave, which I think is television is kind of the it's we're like, we're going through the impact is just as big as I think the television, but like, yeah, there's going to be virtual reality or there Mm -hmm. already is 
and robots within our lifetime and all kinds of like you know human rights like human rights one i mean we're gonna get into robot rights all this other stuff Mm. but just dealing with technology and our relationship to it um i think for instance like bullying um i'm guilty of some bullying when i was a kid um but I got through it all. Like, I'm guilty of it and, you know, experienced it, all of that. But I grew up in a time where um, the online bullying thing didn't exist. Kids are clever. Like, there's ways to do that. Like, I remember I wasn't in this, but there was, like, some book that ran around, went around and different people were slammed in this book. This oh is in high God, school. it was a real burn book. Yeah, like that happened. Um, it wasn't a big deal. Like it didn't, there weren't any major consequences that happened with that that I know of. Um, but basically, I grew up in a time where if you were bullied or bullied, like it was more in person so you would see the consequences versus now I think kids can be crueler because they're spending less more time like in online and stuff like that um so they're interacting with people but through a screen and so you can say all kinds of things anonymously um without seeing like the hurt on somebody's face so not realizing like the impact of it this is maybe a weird analogy but what you were just saying makes me think of the invention of the gun and how wars used to be fought where it was really like an interpersonal, you know, brave heart. You're with swords and you're really seeing the other people and it's this connection. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're there with them. It's it's a real thing to kill another human being and you have to reckon with that. Whereas with guns, you can just fire from a distance. You never see them. It's so easy to dehumanize them and to think of them as not people, as just the enemy as a video game. Yeah. And like now, it, like it... That that the gun thing like has advanced to one we can drop bombs we do that drones, it's like you don't have to fly plane like there doesn't have to be a pilot anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you can automate <laughs> you can automate the whole military thing like yeah. you can automate killing basically, um, and we're not. I, no, I bet we are. I think we're there. I think we're much. No, we are there. Like, I think we like to think that we're not, and we're disconnected to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think one thing, getting back to Mr. Rogers and that. Yeah, let's talk about Mr. Rogers instead of guns. I'm sorry I took it there. (laughs) No, but it's, it's, but it's like, you know, we got to talk about all these things, but one of the things that he did, and it was for children, but I think it was for everybody who grew up with him. Which I absolutely did. Yeah. He imparted just the high neighbor thing, like through the TV made everybody feel like they were important just for being who they were. Mm -hmm. Um, and through his example inspired kindness, you know, but, but through a device that I think the TV, hmm, I wouldn't say it's good or bad, but I would say it's easy to use for a, greedy purpose Mm. you know well and i remember that was sort of what inspired him to make a show in the first place because he saw this amazing thing that was invented the television and then he saw the inane stuff that was being projected on it to the minds of america and he was like i'm gonna make a tv show and his family's like you've never even seen it (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, but he was, you know, he was right. Like, it's like, and that's like, I think, a thing of, he he had no idea how successful that show was going to be. Nobody did. Um, but he had that idea, that inspired idea, and did something with it. You know what I mean? And then it was meaningful. Um, and still is. And it, yeah, and it resonated. Um, and yeah, we're missing, we're missing that voice now but also we are there's not really anything comparable is there no but that's why we have you know we have to do it like as the children of mr rogers like you know like carry that kindness forward you know Mm -hmm. um yeah that would be a good legacy for him to leave yeah i i think he did yeah i do too um yeah like you have to have hope like in in the face of the storm um the same friend who was telling me about the apocalypse (laughs) also was talking about how america was founded by people who left these other places who left england because they wanted to be free and they wanted to have independence and it ended up being like a really puritan messed up society in a lot of ways but she was like, there's still this seed of hope and independence and freedom. And maybe that seed was planted then and now it's just starting to blossom because there are a lot of people who are talking about this and having conversations like we are now and want to make things better and help their fellow human beings. So hopefully it's blossoming and there is hope. Yeah, I think so. Um, And it's like, I get hope from, you know, like people like you, um, like if I hear about your podcast and I know you as an actor, um, and then I check it out and there's like a whole political thing on it without it being like an over the head, like political mm-hmm. show per se. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's not about just talking politics. It's about humanizing them and talking about what do these policies actually mean for people who live here? How is this going to affect them? I think that's why, because I, I agree, I feel like there's a lot of preachy stuff out there. That's not what I intend. Yeah. I just want to, I mean, we're all people. People are people. So I just want us all to recognize the humanity in each other and to help each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Mm. No, not really. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, where, uh, <laughs> where's the best place for people to find you and like follow your film maybe? Um, yeah. And... Um, so my movie is called Ask for Jane and the website, I made the website, is askforjane.com. So if you go there, there's a mailing list that you can sign up for for news about festival screenings. And when we have news, we'll share it with you. And there's a whole Keep Fighting page on the website. So there's just tons of resources for people who want to donate money, people who want to volunteer, people who need help accessing an abortion, all kinds of resources. Um, so that's askforjane.com. And we're on Instagram too, askforjane. Um, the Pussy Power podcast you can just find on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and I'm Kate Cortleo. Uh, it's C-A-I-T-C-O-R-T-E-L-Y-O-U. So I can be found on Instagram at Kate Cortleo or at katecortleo.com. 
Which of those do you prefer? Like Instagram or your personal website? I guess it depends what people want. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to reach out to me, um, you can just DM me or you can email me, uh, at gmail.com. Uh, my website has like stuff on me as an actor and, you know, press and stuff like that. Can you, uh, actually, now that I think about it, um, maybe talk about the plot of the movie a little bit. That's a good idea. Yeah. I didn't do that. <laughs> Why well, didn't, you know, <laughs> Uh, so Ask for Jane tells uh, the fictionalized version of the true story of the Jane Collective. And they were this group of women in Chicago in the late 1960s. And they formed this whole underground network for abortion providers when it was illegal. And they actually ended up learning how to do the procedure themselves. And they ended up helping over 11,000 women before they were finally arrested. And then their... Uh, their lawyer was like, hey, I think there's this important case going to the Supreme Court, so we're going to just delay your trial as long as possible. So she did, and that case was Roe versus Wade. So by the time the Janes went to trial, all the charges were dropped, and there was insufficient evidence, and none of the women who had been pregnant were pregnant anymore. Um, and it's, it's a true story, and one of the actual members of the Jane Collective is our consulting producer, and she makes a cameo in the movie, Judith Arcana. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, so like music rights and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, have you figured all of that stuff out? Like all the music <laughs> and whatnot? It's funny you ask that actually, cause there's one song that we really want and Sony's like, no, and they wouldn't give us a reason. So we're, we're kind of working right now to figure out what to put in that montage scene instead because as it stands now the song we have we can't screen this at festivals gotcha. because we don't have the rights to this one song but we got some nice other ones we've got some bob dylan some Joni mitchell some aretha franklin nice um but then also all of those are for festival rights only so i'm learning this whole music film thing too uh to have the rights worldwide in perpetuity once we get distribution it's going to be exorbitantly expensive. So I'm also coming up with a really cool backup plan that I'm excited about um, with this indie musician. Uh, so in the event that our distributor, future distributor can't afford that music, which is very likely, we can do this, which I'm also excited about. Nice. Mm -hmm. But that's on the wraps. That's uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool. Like I think Birdman, I'm guessing, like I was just thinking of, movies with really interesting musical scores mm. birdman they must have had that plan from beginning but like with the drummer you remember birdman i remember birdman but i don't remember the music in it so well i think a lot of it i was remember the drums. cinematography of it there like there's a drummer and you see him at one point uh -huh. um in it yeah it's been a while since i saw that <laughs> it but was a good movie i really yeah. liked it but it just just thinking about rights and whatnot but i guess i can't <laughs> i can't go down this path too too far well we have a, we have composers too for the incidental music gotcha. um which is this great great group called 222 based out of england so they have a really cool brit pop feel to it which is fitting for the time period so they did some very nice work and they even they flew out to new york so we got to meet them so they could work on some final touches nice they're very cool um, where all did you shoot it? We mostly shot it in Brooklyn, 
um, which is funny because it's supposed to be Chicago, but it's this beautiful historic neighborhood in Brooklyn that looks like the suburbs. And a huge reason why the movie was even possible was the generosity of uh, this one man from Shelter who uh, let us film in uh, his house there. So we had a lot of beautiful interiors thanks to him. Cool. Yeah. Um, You mentioned, you know, for your next movie, you want to be involved in the casting process. Yeah. Do you know what that next thing (laughs) is? I've got ideas. I'm still figuring out what it is, though, because it's it's not so much based on a true story, but it's based on sort of true things that are happening. So it's 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 about uh, EDS, which is this genetic disorder, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, which is something my sister is fighting with right now. And she just came on my podcast and talked about what that's like. And I it's just this horrible disease and there's almost no research on it. So I would want to make a movie to bring light to that. But I don't want the movie to just be about that. I want it to be about a character as a human being who happens to incidentally have this and is fighting it. So I'm still working out what the story is exactly. But that's that's what I really want to tell next. Nice. And uh, do you audition like all the time? Or what do you, what's kind of your deal outside of... <laughs> like I see you once a week at Shelter. Yeah. And I know you do the podcast. Um, what do you, what do you do outside of that? (laughs) Um, I'm auditioning a little more now. So, uh, through the movie, and this is a good plug for making your own work through the movie, the casting director, Eve, we got along really well and she ended up connecting me with my manager who I'm signed with now and who I absolutely love. And then the manager connected me with a commercial agent and with a legit agent. So now I'm fully repped, which is really exciting. Um, so I'm starting to go on more auditions. Um, And it's funny because uh, once you're repped, it's not like you get to sit in the back and be like, ah, now I get to let them take charge. It's like I have to work even harder. Yeah. So I'm figuring out, you know, how to be as proactive as I can on my end. Yeah. I feel like um, when you talk about the time it took to find shelter, Mm -hmm. like I do feel like New York is, well, I mean... You know, like it's a tough place on the one hand, but like once you, like if you can find your, your shelter, yeah. um, it like basically like as an actor, cause so much of it, like you said, it's not like you can, you can't sit back and let it all happen. Like you, there's so much that you have to do. And at the same time, as far as like the auditions, there's a certain amount of it that's like, there's nothing that you can do about it like mm-hmm. you you can't make people pick you you know what I mean like I think the trap people fall into um which will put you in a really bad psychological place over time is when you're trying to figure out what they quote unquote want and yeah. trying to trying to make yourself be that you know what I mean when oh it's like, yeah that's, I totally know what you mean you can't uh, and you can't ever be that because mm-hmm. you can be you and you have to trust one, you have to trust that there are roles out there. And it's like sometimes there's periods of time where there's not. So if you can kind of be proactive and like work with theater company, kind of work with companies and be more proactive about working on your craft, like it puts you in a better place. You know what I mean? Like to 
to pursue those things. Absolutely. And there's so much truth to the not, you're never going to be able to please everyone and you're never going to be able to intuit what it is they want. All you can do is show what this role would look like if you do it. Yeah. I think that's the most effective way to actually book too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It took me a long time to find my people. Um, I thought I found them for a while and then I was wrong and I'm just, I'm really grateful now to have found shelter. Who it's the, really inspiring. Who are the not your people? Um, they were, they were cool. It was, uh, so I used to have a theater company in New York. Mm. Um, and we all started working together cause we did a play together. I was friends first with the director and then he cast, so I was already cast in this play and then he cast the rest of them and we all got along really well and we're like, let's keep making art together. So he founded a company and then none of us really wanted to do the administrative side of things. And I'm pretty organized, which I guess is why I did well at producing so I kind of got shunted into that role more and more. And I was, it was like three or four shows went by that I wasn't cast in. And I was like, guys, I'm here to act. That's yeah. what I do. And so every, everyone kind of just drifted away from it. Like everyone stepped off at various stages, including myself. And the whole thing fell apart. It's not a company anymore. Um, and none of us are really close anymore, which is a shame because we made some really cool art together. I had a similar experience. Um, it wasn't a theater company. It was sort of, it was when I first moved to Bushwick. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a music and arts collective. And yeah, similar thing. Like at the time I, cause there is like, I do like kind of producing in a way also. And so at the time I kind of took on that role a little bit. Um, but yeah, over time it's like, that's, like a great thing to do. And I think as if you have that as an actor, like you absolutely should, because then you can have some control, like, you know, over your, yeah, over your opportunities. Um, and I don't regret that experience. Right. I regret kind of how we all fall, fell out, but it well, was it's really hard special. if you're not, if you're working and like in that kind of role and you're not, it's not like you're making money off of it once. Mm-mm. So you're still like <laughs> having to work and hustle, but you're also not getting fulfilled as a performer. And if that's, that's the thing, you know, then it, it's not sustainable. Um, and it's also tricky because other performers, even if they recognize the performer in you, mm-hmm. um, if they recognize the producer in you, oh, yeah. performers are happy to have you produce um, and everybody has opinions and it's, I, yeah, I know the, that, that story. Yeah. So it feels really good to have found shelter because I think it operates in a really different way. Yeah. You know, how it has such an open door policy and how smart everybody is and how collaborative it feels. Cause I've been also part of groups that are similar to shelter before, you know, like sort of open forum type things. And it felt kind of like this weird masturbatory showing off of knowledge and assuming that whoever was up there knew less than you. Right. And I never feel that vibe at shelter. I just feel like the impulse to help and to improve whatever it is and to be generous and kind. Yeah. I feel like it's like a self-governing class slash slash workshop. But you know, like, I mean, um, I think it's good every now and then to like, I think it's good to keep working on your craft And so taking a class every now and then can be good. Like I even think I've always had this thought, like 
it's it would probably be beneficial every now and then to take like a intro to acting class mm. not like not not so much i guess if it was like a class that was like um all kind of uh exercises that you would do like in the very beginning you know just to get you not necessarily that but just mm. sort of like like it's the basics i think that need constant and there's different methods and stuff like that there's different schools of thought but just kind of you know it's just kind of tuning the thing up I like that and getting new perspectives so it's like it's great to work with different teachers um well it seems like dance even yeah like it's nice to go back to just a basic ballet class sometimes and like make sure you really have your positions right and make sure you really know your bar work yeah because an actor your body is your instrument it's in a different way than a dancer but it is your instrument yeah but i find you can fall into like with certain teachers like and there's nothing wrong with this but um you can just take ongoing classes oh yeah and it's good um but like with new york being what it is Mm -hmm. and as expensive as it is and Time, like, time really works differently here. <laughs> like, there's a lot you can do, but you have to, like, use your time. Um, so, to me, like, an acting class over a period of time, it's like, I don't want to spend that. Like, there's other things also to spend money on mm-hmm. for your craft. Um, but, like, also in an acting class, to me, I've always thought the feedback you get from your peers is some of the most important feedback. You know what I mean? Because And I you you were just talking about this with Kingsbaker on the episode a few a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um I mentioned Anthony Abeson earlier, who I studied with for two years after college. And one of the things I think is really cool about him is that he doesn't let you study with him for more than two years. That's the That's cap. good. He's yeah. after that time he's like, you've learned all you can from me. I got to shove you out of the nest. Go find someone who teaches the opposite from me. Right. Don't take my word for gospel, um, which just makes me respect the heck out of him even more. Yeah, because I'm not like I get like I'm like I'm all for people. I get like certain teachers. I get it. We're all we all have to make a living too. So I'm not. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. some people enjoy like anyway. Um, but that's yeah, more than two years. I don't know what it's doing at that point. Mm-hmm. You know? It's just making you feel good. It makes you feel like you're doing something, even though at that point you're probably not. Yeah. Yep. You got to find your people. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. So and you- this this movie, too, would not have been possible without Shelter. Because so many people, I mean, from the location to Rachel herself to my co-producer, um, they were all either shelter people or connected to me through shelter people. And we had a whole bunch of shelter actors in it. It was such a labor of love in so many ways. Yeah. Um, do you have any idea when, when we might be screening this? Um, I hope like beyond festivals, you mean like distribution or festivals. Like is like, I I just mean like when people, if they're in the area or something, if there might be things, um, I don't, I don't know if I have a good answer for that yet. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping for like a small theatrical release in 2019. Cool. That's my hope. I think that would be dope. Like IFC, Angelica. 
And you'll keep me posted on on this. Yes, so I can definitely. Keep people on this, for sure. Cool. <laughs> um. Yeah. And Is, hopefully, we won't all have to resort to another Jane Collective in real life. Yeah, hopefully not. Like, and kind of is actually happening already, though. There's underground <sighs> abortion networks in America right now. It's very secret and it's very non-connected because it's so secret. And the Janes themselves, too, now I'm kind of backtracking, but, like, they had code names. Jane is the code name, and they had blindfolds for a while and, like, multiple secret locations. It's, I mean, one of the elements of the movie is, like, a heist genre. I haven't been able to watch or finish the second season of uh, Handmaid's Tale. <gasps> Me neither. I'm still stuck, like, halfway through. I just I can't bring myself to do like more. Like, the first season I was able to, I was like, okay, this Me is too. dark, and this is very disturbing especially like the first season the most disturbing parts were the flashbacks to like when everything was going down oh my god the women's march yeah oh i actually have chills right now just thinking about it yeah but then this so plausible and then right now it's like it's like so we have this (laughs) we won't spend two we'll we'll bring it back around to mr rogers but (laughs) we have um Supreme Court. Um, uh. Also, there's a whole thing with... Uh, so the Kennedy family is is interesting because the Kennedy that's retiring... Yeah. Like, they're, that family, there's, like, a lot of stuff. Like, not everybody was John and Bobby um, when you go back to that family. Um, but there's some connection between Trump and that Kennedy's, like, son or something. Like private banker, like all this stuff about like why it would all feel right so now. insidious. It is. And it's like, that's, so that's like my biggest. So that was like a big frustration during the 2016 election. And now it's like it, I mean, Trump, the Republicans, like the stuff going on is like horrible, but I also feel like we have to hold like everybody accountable because along the way, I feel like there were a lot of democratic like senators who have sold out to like big multinational corporations and just sold out. Like just there's too much money in politics um, to where. I wonder if there's like some ways to just eradicate greed. I feel like that would solve just, so many of America's problems, greed and power. Just That's get what rid of it, it all. comes down to. And it's like, it's frustrating because I feel like with technology, um, we're at a point where we could, we could, I think that's what technology is, but I feel like we could be so much better. Like there is a way to like use the advancements we've made to, to be more sustainable. Globally, and, we're more connected than we've ever been in the history of our planet. Yeah. Like, I can just talk to someone from Australia right now on my phone if I wanted to, if yeah. I knew someone in Australia. <laughs> so, yeah, I, f- I feel like because we're all interconnected in a way that's never happened before, there should be some way to... I don't even know where I'm going with this. It it does just feel like a new opportunity and a new horizon. I feel like, actually, like... All right, here's how we're going to bring it back to yeah, Mr. Yeah. Rogers. All right, let's go. Um, Like... Yeah, like think about Mr. Rogers and like use, like, and you can do it. Like, you have a podcast, 
you're an actor, um, you're a filmmaker. Uh, so it's like you have talents, you have the smarts, you have tools, and we have the technology um, to like get, we have the technology to be able to get our voices out. So like remember that and use that and like connect, you know, connect people. Honestly, I kind of want to make a children's show now. Yeah. We've had this whole conversation and I'm like, what if I like made a Mr. Rogers show? How beautiful could that be? I would love to collaborate with you on that. <laughs> All right, cool. Wait, let's, let's shake hands. All right. You can't see it, whoever's watching, listening, but we, yep. we shook hands. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, well, I think that's a pretty good spot to little, put a little pen yeah. in this. Um, do you have any final thoughts? I just, I think this podcast is really beautiful too. And uh, I said this before as we were coming downstairs, um, I needed a little burst of inspiration today and I was listening to it and it, it helped me out. So thank you for making this. Cool. Well, thank you for coming on. I'm really, really happy to come it. on. Thank you for asking me. And we're about to go to shelter. Yeah, we um, are. And I mean, you won't, this won't be out before <laughs> this actual time, but. But just know. I tell everybody, I tell everybody about shelter. Seriously. I do too. Like I meet, I'm like, I'm telling you, just <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like I probably sound crazy when I'm talking about it, but like, yeah, seriously. Yeah, I feel like it like, sounds like I'm in a cult because I'm so passionate about it, but I really, I am that passionate about it. Yeah. And people are, people ask me like, do I have to sign up a set of time? I'm like, nope. Can I just come and like, listen? Yep. Um, <laughs> it's like my church. What's the rule? It's on Sundays. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's where we're going to be every Sunday from 630 to 1030 at the Terry Schreiber Studios. Look it up. Um, The ShelterNYC.org. Yep. But look up Kate Corleo. Look up the Pussy Pussy Power podcast (laughs) um, and ask for Jane. You've got a lot of Googling to do out there. And the links for that will be in the show too. So cool. Um, Thank you. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Kate Corleo. I had a great time talking with her. Like I said, all of the links for all of her projects will be in the show notes for this episode or are in the show notes for this episode. You can find those on BushwickVarietyShow.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are in the show notes there. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed that, if you enjoyed this Uh, I'm here every Monday and Thursday with new episodes, talking with new people. Um, Please uh, share. Please let me know what you think. Um, If you know anybody who you'd like to have on the show, let me know that too. And uh, yeah, do your thing. Be inspired. Take action. Do something. Make it happen. All right. Have a good one. Peace. you free